outdrive you. Yeah, and she can outdrive you too. Thanks, Grandma. Welcome to another episode of the Derek Pernasiglio Show. I'm Derek Pernasiglio, and we have got another great episode lined up for you. Joe Gertie joins us in the studio. Joe Gertie, World of Outlaws legend, uh, all-star champion, two-time all-star champion. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. So uh, you are new, actually, I should say, to uh, North Carolina or just moved, didn't you? Yeah, it's... Uh kind of new i guess i've been here a couple years is all so uh i'm getting all acclimated kind of figuring out all the back roads to get through all this traffic so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's different uh what uh what are some of the big things that you notice about living down south compared to indiana oh i would say the weather you know um right now it's like 10 degrees up there and they got a foot of snow so i'm i'm happy to be down here even though it's a little rainy i can deal with that part of it so it's, it's, it's so, for me, this is surreal to have you here uh, sitting across from me because I, I, years ago, and I got to find the program, I was a little kid, and I remember coming up to you at, right before the races at Orange County Fair Speedway, Middletown, New York, to get your autograph in one of your, uh, in one of my programs, and I got it from you. I got to find the program to this day, but, you know, I come from that era of, you know, being that kid in the stands and seeing the guys like, you know, Kinzer and Swindell and Bobby Davis Jr. and you know all those guys from back in the day. So uh, it, it's really cool to see you here. And you know my biggest memory of you is in that Burgundy Seven T W House of Windsor yep. cigars car. Yeah, we ran that for a couple of years. Yeah. Now that wasn't the same team you drove for in uh, the All Stars, was it? Uh, at the end, it was. Yes, we started together in '88, actually. So before sprint cars, did you run anything before sprint cars? Nothing. No, I went right into sprint cars. I mean, I had go-karts that we messed around in the back behind the engine shop, but nothing competitive, no. I, I know this is starting off at the beginning, but what what was that like? I mean, first off, you've been around sprint cars your entire life, so you yes. knew they were fast and powerful. But when you first sat in one and had to hit the gas in it, I mean, did, was it just a holy cow moment? Pretty much, yes. Um <laughs> The first few times we did it, we just kind of went to a track when no one was there, obviously, and just practiced. And the very, very first time I went on the racetrack, the nozzles got plugged in the engine, so it wasn't even running right. And I'm thinking, I, I can't do this. This is too fast, you know. And then my dad stops us and fixes the, the plug nozzles, and then I immediately spun out because I'm so f- into the gas and then too much power for what I knew, you know. And so it was different. It took a while. Most of the first year was definitely learning, and of course, you learn every time you go on a track. But that was uh, it was a that's probably the biggest horsepower for the weight of the car you'll ever experience. And that was racing local in Indiana. You local weren't running with the series. Yeah, correct. Right. Local non-wing stuff: Bloomington, Paragon, Putnamville, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so then what was the what what was the move to go wing racing? Because I remember you seeing you mostly in something with a wing. Yeah, we only did about a year non-wing around home mm-hmm. and then we started running with a group in michigan called sod that's still around to this day but uh it, back then it was all 410 stuff but uh they did all wing stuff i felt like safer you know it's more what we were headed for we're headed to do ultimately outlaws so you want to start as soon as you can and what you're going to run we did that for a year and then we did the all-stars after that so when you were younger, it was never like a desire to join dad in the family business building engines. You just, you always wanted to race? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you're there obviously every day at the engine shop, but uh, I wanted to do the driving side of it and he always liked the engine side of it. He did play around with go-karts and stuff when he was younger, but uh, 
he he never got into the racing side of it, just driving part. He was just into the engine stuff. So you first started driving for your dad. Correct. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when when was it that you picked up your first ride driving for someone? It would have been at the uh, about the middle of '88 when we were running the All Star Series. Um, or I'm sorry, I guess it would have been the eighty. It been '89 when we when we started doing that. '88 uh, end of '88, first of '89. '89 is when we first run the Outlaws. But I drove for Tom Wimmer. He had actually Rick Unger. That's an older name. I that, remember the name. Uh, that was driving for him, and they. They didn't see eye to eye. So about midway through 88 is when I started driving for Wimmer. So in 89, you win the World of Outlaws Rookie of the Year. Who were the guys that you were battling that year for that uh, for that uh, the, World of Outlaw title? The or only I say rookie one the I year. could say that I could remember, I think there was only two of us, was Steve Beitler and myself. So Okay. Yeah, I remember that name too, Steve yeah. Beitler. Okay. That's amazing. And, and, you know, when you were running in the Outlaws, I mean – you had 10 wins in the series in your career, and those were against the legends. I mean, you got, not only did you have Steve and Sammy, you had, you know, Bobby Davis Jr., Doug Wolfgang, Kaufman, you know, Brent Keating would show up every once in a while. Yep, I mean, these yep. were, these were you know, heavy hitters. That and, was the heavy times. That's what I always say. Yep, it was. Did, yep. uh, did you feel like the, the chum in the pond or, or anything? Pretty much at the beginning, yes. <laughs> so, um, what... Um, what was it that you loved, just loved about the sprint cars? It was just the fact of just being uh, brought up with them with the dad? or Pretty much, yeah. You know, you're always around them all the time. Uh, guys would always be at the shop, you know, working on engines and stuff. Um, Kinzer was there all the time with, the, with Carl and stuff with the 11 car. So I, I just think that the, I guess the speed aspect on the dirt and somewhat out of control feeling. That's what I liked the best. That's cool. Did you first uh, uh, start off working on cars or working on engines? Engines first, and then I and then we got a car from Lee Osborne. Was one of my first cars, um, and then my dad pretty much made me go with them guys. I went with Carl, and I went with Lee Osborne for for several races before I was allowed to even work on my own car or do anything. And then he made me do pretty much all that. So you learned as you went. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Like, when did you start? Like. I, I guess I'm saying these years were the beginning years of learning how to be a crew chief, right? With yes. working on them and yeah. tuning mm-hmm. them and yeah. everything else. Okay. Nowadays, you don't really get that. You know, these guys just show up and drive. A lot of them don't even know what they're working with, you know. So so when you were racing, uh, were you thinking that the outlaws are where you wanted to be? Where What was the goal? I mean, everybody has goals coming up as a kid. I mean, God, I, I wanted to race in NASCAR or IndyCar, you know, and drive for a living. Uh, what was the goal for you? Was it just stay in sprint cars? Was it to go to Indy or NASCAR? Initially, it was to go to NASCAR. That's where I was wanting to go. But then as it got into it and I got older, I was kind of committed to do the sprint car thing. You know, once... You know how it is. It's just younger is better, and as you get in your twenties, you're almost too old to try to do anything else. So it's crazy to sound that way, but that's kind of how it works. It's it is. It's becoming a young person sport. I, I know. I used to be. I remember being the young kid in the field with people giving me second looks. Now I'm the oldest guy in the field. Right. Right. So what um what is uh some of the biggest differences that you notice in sprint car racing today compared to when you were doing it as a driver? Um, I would say there's, I would guess there's just different things you do now that you didn't do when you were a driver. Um, I don't know. There's just, 
I don't really can't say what there would be different, I guess. Um, you just have different responsibilities for sure as a crew chief versus a driver, but I don't know. The grind is, is still the same. I mean, the outlaw circuit, the, the schedule has not changed much in the last 20 or 30 years. It's still 90-plus races. Right, and, and that part of it as far as crew side – crew chief crew people are worse for the grind than it is for the driver they just leave and show up the next day you know so yeah there's a lot more to it as a crew member or crew chief to stay up till three or four in the morning get the car cleaned and get it ready for the next day and then you show up at nine o'clock in the morning start working again in the parking lot so there's there's a lot more to the grind that's that gets old after a while you're crew chief now uh, do you still get that same thrill or excitement, you know, uh, going to victory lane as a crew chief that you did as a driver? Um, as I've gotten older, yes, it's, it's gotten a little bit better, but then first couple times when you're switching from driver mode over to crew mode, it, it, it's different. You're still excited because now you've worked on this thing all the time and now you've accomplished something by winning. So it, it's still cool. I still want to go there every time I get a chance for sure. In the beginning, when you were going to victory lane as a crew chief just switching out of being a driver were you ever did you ever sit back and sit there and go you know damn it i'm a driver that that should be me right there not really no when i was done i i guess i was done you know it was it was time that was actually going to be my next question when you were done the last ride you were with was with junior holbrook's team you were quoted in saying, I just want to do other things. What, what was it? Were you just tired? Was it a burnout? Uh, you know, or was it both? Pretty much both, really. You know, you're just tired of it. You're tired of the road. Um, they wanted to keep go, go, go. I'd, I would just as soon step back and maybe done some all-star stuff or, you know, something like that. Just kind of shorten your schedule, you know, not be out there on the road constantly. Um, just you know, do other things as far as I was starting to try to transition into doing the engine stuff and it could have been more time at home, you know. Was this when you started thinking crew chief responsibilities around that time too? Yeah, because I tried the engine shop thing and it it just wasn't going to work for me. I need to be on the highway somehow with it being in the parking lot or something. So I would experiment with that. I I worked with Darren Pittman back in 99 and 2000 and I'd go back and forth, you know, from the engine shop during the week to the to the racetrack. So, I guess work, working in the engine shop was more dad's thing. That it, was dad's all the way, yes, and and that was well noted several times. <laughs> <laughs> why why did he, uh, you guys argue about that? Or oh just yeah, get... that was that was some arguments a few times. Yep. <laughs> okay. You need to get your life together, you know. Well, I do have it. It's just not what you want, so. <laughs> But and you were racing, you were driving at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. That's when he was trying to convince me to wind down. But you know what, though, in a way, that was kind of like a, a, a good for you because now all around you can you can do everything on the car. You yeah. can build the car. Yeah. You can build the motor. You can set it up. I mean, and for all intents and purposes, drive the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it came in, a lot of times it's came in handy when I've had younger people driving my own personal race cars, you know, because they, they can relate to what they, when you say this is what's going to happen, and then they, you know that's what's going to happen, because you drove, you know, you know that. So it's helped a lot of people that I've had driving for me. Who who are some of those drivers that you have had that good chemistry with? I would say Carson, my most recent guy, Carson Macedo. Mm-hmm. he was really he started racing for me when he was 20 
Um, he had raced his family stuff. Uh, his uh, great uncle was Tom Tarleton, and they had run all the California stuff. And he'd won the King of the West and that kind of stuff, but never left California. Uh, raced a little bit with lenders in Ohio, uh, but uh, just a handful when he was doing the Keith Coon Midges stuff. So to teach him to run Ohio racetracks was, was difficult because they're dry and they are no cushion to speak of, and he's a California guy. He only knows one thing, that's the cushion. So he had confidence enough to know that I raced and that he would trust me in what I would say. So we had a really good relationship. What is what is some of the most difficult messages you try to get through to a driver uh, over the years or something that you find yourself repeating to them just to try to drill into their head? Because, you know, I always, I you know, I, I had help from Andy Stapp and he had always drilled it into me to look ahead look far ahead look so. that's exactly what i was just going to say that's one of the problems you get into sometimes is they want to look just past the nose wing and they need to look way down the straightaway you, the- you know speaking of andy I, I gotta bring this up because we talked to him uh on the episode uh that we uh we previously had and I gotta, I gotta hear the details of this story because he told me, and I was crying. Your your dad borrowed his father's trailer, and no, oh, yeah. uh, okay, <laughs> the gist of it is, I heard he got his nuts caught in the trailer. <laughs> Tell us what yeah. happened. Well, it was weird because I wasn't, I wasn't even there. I was somewhere at the back of the trailer, or the car, or doing something. Oh, so you were there when this? Oh incident- yeah, yeah. It was with my <laughs> stuff. We were racing. We were up in Michigan running, running one of them sod races. Um, oh god. And I was, like I said, not around that, but I seen the aftermath of the whole mess, and it was quite funny. Uh, we could laugh about it afterwards, but it wasn't a funny thing at the time. <laughs> Did you have to drive home? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was pretty much laid out, so yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's terrible. We were probably, you know, not Michigan from us in Indiana. We we maybe four or five hours most so it wasn't a huge ride home but it was it was a ways and they still have that trailer right they still have that trailer yep they've had it all restored and they've put a little memory thing inside the door there where it's closed on my dad and yeah so yeah racers are funny people right they'll hold on to certain things for memorabilia steve still has that and he's going to use it for some of his cars he restored and drive them around but uh that it's quite cool actually at the time but it it wasn't funny to my dad of course but we we had a good laugh later <laughs> it's it's pretty it's a funny story oh yeah yeah uh, i think it was a once in a lifetime you'll never have that again now turned crew chief for the world of outlaws and uh worked for kyle larson uh as the crew chief for the number two car but recently switching gears can you tell us about that yeah, I'm going to uh, take a job here with Alex Bowman. He's going to start a wing sprint car program. Um, and, of course, he's, he has midgets, and he's been running them. So it'll be a little different. There's, I'm going to be his first employee, I guess, and uh, we're going to learn. He's going to have C.J. Larry driving for him, which is a prominent non-wing guy. So we're going to teach a non-wing guy how to run sprint cars with wings. So we'll see. I mean, what is – I mean – I, I run on dirt with an outlaw cart, but it's not a sprint car. You know, it's way smaller. But uh, I have only run a few non-wing races here and there. What is some of the big things that you've got to teach a, a wing driver? Wing guys or, or, are, are you know it's faster obviously because the wing. But uh, you know some of the wing guy non-wing guys want to have tendency to to back the thing in too much. You you got to run a wing car really straight. And, okay, and, and that's 
that's a little bit of a learning curve. Now, there's some non-wing guys will pick that up real quick. It's just a matter of what, you know. I think CJ's run maybe a couple wing races. I know they practiced out here last year at uh, Charlotte, and then they he got in trouble for soaking tires or something, so the outlaws wouldn't really run, even though it was a USAC event. But they, they all stick together on that stuff. So uh, we're going to try to do some testing for sure. Alex would like to try it. He's never run a wing car, so... Uh, It'll be a learning curve for everybody. What kind of feedback has CJ given you about it? Does he like it? Is it different? Is it confusing for him? Uh, he hadn't mentioned confusing. He said it's been it's been uh, you know faster. Obviously, um, not not a lot of feedback. He's wanting to learn from me, you know, to try to speed up their learning curve of what they need to do because they're pretty lost on setup stuff because it definitely doesn't correlate to non wing stuff. Have you worked with CJ before? I don't know if you guys have worked together. I mean, no, no, I didn't. Uh, he's had some of our engines, but nothing chassis or none of that kind of stuff over the years. But no. Okay, so you're still trying to gel together, I yeah, guess, and develop correct. that chemistry. Mm-hmm. I got you. For him, is there anything that you have to do, like setup wise, knowing that he's going to drive it like a non-wing car? I would say yeah, I'll have to keep the thing a little bit different as far as how the car is going to roll a corner because he's going to want to try to turn it. It needs to turn for itself. There's going to be a few things. And obviously, as beginners I've worked with before, to get them up to speed, you can't really do a full-on tighten-up type race car like you would for, for somebody that's raced them a long time. You gotta, gotcha. you gotta kind of leave them on that loose side. I would guess you'd say. Uh, changing gears really quick. As far as like the state of sprint car racing goes, I, I think we had discussed this even before we had started the show. But like, what was it that I shouldn't say scares you the most, but makes you the most nervous about what's happening in, nowadays in sprint car racing? I, I just think there's a lot of uh, kind of things like the NASCAR kind of things going on. You know, where there's I wouldn't say rent a rides, but there's a lot of the drivers bringing sponsorship money to get the ride. So, really? So, wait, you know, this is more of a trend. Like you said, you hear more in NASCARs. So, it, you are seeing this buy a ride thing happening in the Outlaws? Yeah. And, yeah. I wouldn't say they're getting the 100% sponsorship, but they're getting some of the, some, in some cases, more majority of it. Okay. So, they're coming, you have to have a backer. Right. It's, right. Okay. Yeah. They're coming in saying, here, I got this much money. Can you put me in the car? Well, what's the owner going to Sure. You know, you, every bit counts. So, they're going to go for it. So, do you think it's going to turn into something of high turnover where you see guys come and go just because, you know, fathers have, a, a, they have enough with spending money on sprint car racing and they're off doing something else? It's possible. You know, I guess that, that goes back to, what their son wants to do you know they get in it they obviously don't like it then they're going to move on take their money elsewhere as they say you know over the years uh since you've been driving what are some of the biggest advancements that you've seen in the sport that have helped it go in a positive direction i'd say the safety stuff it's gotten a lot better with safety looking looking when i first started there was no full containment seats that wasn't even heard of, you know. It was just a high back seat, right? Well, I didn't even have a high back seat in my first cars. Really? Yeah. Holy. It just had where the belts came over the the bar, you know. And one side had the the right side had the the wrap, and that was it, you know. 
the the basic car itself has stayed the same. You know, solid axle up front and in the back. You know, tor- torsion bars or coils. Yep, it, correct. It, so, really, it's the nineteen eighty seven Gambler that I had is very similar to the Maxim car built today. You know. So when you have a car that basically has stayed the same for decades, what are the areas that you have to find an edge? Because technically everybody's got the same thing. Right now it's shocks. Is it? Everything's going to the shocks, yeah. How? You put basically four torsion bars in that'll make the thing go do basically what you want, and then you start tuning on the shocks. Left rear shock's big, obviously, with the wing and stuff. When did you start figuring all of this stuff out, like suspensions, chassis setup, and all that stuff, because you said that you weren't interested in doing the motor part. You'd worked on cars, but, like, when did the when did the setup stuff start to come in for you? Like, you started working on it more and more. I'd say when I was with Pittman in 99 and 2000, that shock thing started becoming a big deal. Everybody started putting shock dynos in their, car, in their trailers, and then from that, you know, your torsion bars, and then you're starting to basically you got a window to work with on a sprint car you got a wheelbase minimum or wheelbase maximum and then you're you play with your tube heights and all that and you know after i quit driving then you got to pay attention more to the car side of it so you're you're all the time experimenting every team i've ever been with including my own personal team we tested a lot you probably want to test kind of like nascar used to be you almost test more than you race in some cases you know last year with carson and the kyle larson team we tested oh i would say we tested seven times last year even with the covid going on you know is the is the the shocks becoming one of the big expenses in, in sprint starting cars? next to, to the motors obviously yep yeah. it's starting to become an issue because you yeah. know now you're getting into you know gas shocks and double pistons and fully adjustable now you can't adjust from the cockpit that's not allowed but you still have an adjustable shock on a car so it it becomes you know thousand dollars a side you know one shock wow. so that's back when i raced you could buy a shock for 75 bucks you know and that isn't the case nowadays that's just it's amazing the the way the sport is moving it, it really is and um uh you know, they add safety bars in the frames and different things like that over the years. That changes the way the frame flexes. So you're looking at what can you do there. You know, everybody's went that route. I always say in racing it's a five-year. Something that happened five years ago comes back because somebody will get a thing like, oh, i got to try that. It's a five-year turnaround every year something, you know. But you usually end up back at the basic frame. That hasn't, like I said, hasn't changed for 30 years, so... It, yeah, I know. It's it's so funny because you 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 have to think of how to build a better mousetrap, but these are the parts that you're limited to running. Right, right. So, now but, they've got wall thickness on the tubing for the safety, which I'm all for that. You know, and they've added extra bars in the cars and different things to keep people from getting hurt, and I'm all for all that. But it does affect the way the car flexes, so you got to change some of your setup. How bad have you ever gotten hurt in a car? You know, I've never broke a bone, but I've had several concussions, but... Okay, so never made, never broke a never bone. Never been in the hospital. Nope. No. No. Nope. Uh, knock on wood I've, for I've that been, one. Right? I've been able to walk away every time. Yeah. So. Ah, okay, that's cool. Uh, of of all of your wins, then is the the gold cup probably the biggest one? Yeah. That you've done. Yeah, yeah, that was a twenty thousand to win race. That was the biggest thing back then. You know, they didn't have all the big races. Um, and they had the Kings Royal. That was the biggest in the Knoxville. But I I ran. Uh, I think I ran third once in a Kings Royal. That was about my best finish in a, in a big paying race. Looking back at 
some of the races that you've run over the years, is there anything or any one particular race that you go, God, if I had just done this or if I had just done that, I don't want it? Yeah, there's been a few. A couple times at Eldora at the King's Royal, and mm-hmm. we've made a pretty big mistake on some setup and stuff. But, you know, as a driver, you take the good with the bad, you know, but right. you always think there's that next year that you're going to get that, you know, but sometimes that don't always happen either. I always wished I could have ran better at Knoxville. I really liked that place, but I just, I just never got a handle. It wasn't for my driving style at the time or something. You know, I think I ran seventh at a nationals once is the best I've done. What places did suit you? I really love Bloomington. Just the little racetracks because that's where I grew up. You know, and that's where I think Chico with the Gold Cup fit my program because that's to me just like a West Coast version of Bloomington, Indiana. So. I just liked all the small tracks. I guess because that's how I started was on small race tracks. Any of you? So, what about any of the big tracks? Do you prefer any? I like Eldora real good because we went there a lot back when I started racing. They they did a weekly race there every once in a while. They do like an every Friday. They'd have a just a weekly show. Now, obviously, they we were talking about this the other day um, with some guys I know that Eldora you you, you don't get no laps there. Because it's only special events. You roll in, you hot lap, you qualify in your race, if you can make the race. Okay. So you get limited laps. I feel like I got better there when I would go over there every Friday night and just run their local race, you know. Gotcha. Because just... them bigger racetracks, you need laps. That's that's the thing. Well, that's the thing with anybody beginning, is you want to get as many laps as you can. You, you know, uh, uh, you, were prob- you were around when they uh, they put dirt on Bristol. Yep. And now they're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was Bristol like on dirt when you ran it? I did not race it. Oh, I was I was there as a spectator. Um, but that was right in the transition of when I was quitting and starting to work on cars. Um, it's going to be wild, I would say. You know, it, there was some talk that they may have lessened the banking from what it used to be. I, I don't know, but uh, I just seen some pictures of it. Um, It'll be super fast, that's for sure. But this year coming around, you've got 30-plus races that you guys are going to run, yep. right? Winning yep. stuff. Uh, what's the first race for you guys on the schedule? Haven't decided yet. Um, still trying to come up with a schedule because CJ is going to try to win the USAC National Championship so, with the sprint cars. So that's got to kind of fit around what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's priority. Um, Alex is wanting to do a few. Uh, he's got to work that through Hendrick and figure out where they're going to allow that. So, so there's no chase for any points or a championship this year. It's just no. get up to speed. Right. Correct. All right. Well, I, that, I would feel that we'll probably test as much as we'll race is uh, what's going to happen. Well, that's also got to be, I shouldn't say less pressure for you, but you've got to be at least feeling good knowing that the pressure is not on to perform. It's just really start to gel and build a foundation here, yeah, right? Yeah, and I, I kind of want to get off the road. I mean, I'll be 55 at the end of the month, and I'm wanting to kind of move on to doing less of the road stuff. It gets to be old, you know, out there all the time. Last year was an easy year because we had COVID. We didn't have a lot of races. So right now, this year, the Outlaws got 90-some races scheduled. That's a pretty big race schedule to do. Now that you've reached this age now and, and this level of maturity, what are some of the things that you want to do? Um, I, I don't know. I think I want to, I would like to maybe have gotten into some of the NASCAR stuff, but I, I don't know. I, 
I'm pretty content with trying to teach younger people to do this. I'm committed now to doing racing. I don't know anything else. That's all I've ever done my whole life. So I can't say I'm going to go out on a fishing boat and retire because that's not going to happen. So. You know, I, I, I kind of get where, you, where you're coming from because uh, last year I kind of switched into a car owner mode a little bit. I ran a few times, but <clears throat> I have a couple of cars back in my shop. And uh, I had this kid driving for me. And I thought I would be a little agitated about being a car owner you know watching my equipment out there but i'll be honest with you i got just just as much of a kick you know working on it and getting the kid up to speed as i did driving so i i get what you're talking about like developing them and seeing them grow and mature mm -hmm. you know you're, you're you're grooming them in a way too when i had my own stuff i was more of a wreck than when i'm working for somebody i know that <laughs> as a mechanic you're over there and you own your own stuff and you're trying to work on it and do it and then you're just more, I think you're more nervous than if you work for somebody. Do you, do you own any cars anymore? No, any? I got rid of all that when I moved to North Carolina. So. Okay. So let's get back to the engine stuff. Um, the engine shop is no more, right? The right. engine mm -hmm. shop was sold. Yes. And who bought the company? A uh, company was bought by a guy there in Rochester that had a uh, factory, uh, Kevin Birchmeyer, and he runs Justin Grant on the USAC stuff. Yeah, I've heard of um, he bought it. He ran it for about roughly two years, and then he just um, basically parted it out with through an auction and sold everything off. Um, that's about the time I moved to North Carolina. We still had the buildings and everything. We're in the process of getting rid of all that stuff. Um, and my sister and I own that, and we're trying to get rid of all that. And uh, she still lives in Indiana and uh, does her thing, and I moved down here. Um, it wasn't a bad move. I mean, it was at the time when... Right now, there's a lot of engine builders in the sprint car world, and there's, it's kind of driven to the fact of location. Um, does it does it piss you off though, knowing that you know the Gertie engine brand, that logo that's been around for, for years, is not no longer in business? Is it you know I mean because all the tradition that's there with you know that engine brand, does it does it does it just get you mad that you wanted to see the at least the company? keep operating under that name I, i'm not really i wouldn't say mad i'm more sad about it because of the history of it i'd like to have seen it keep going and he kind of had that intention at the beginning and then i think he saw a way to break even make money I, i'm not sure what his thought was on selling it um, that's unfortunate i'd had a couple year contract to stick around and i seen where it was going so i just moved on but um I kind of almost wish there was a way I could have kept the name going somehow, you know, with whether whether it be someone else take it over, but no, it we, just didn't work. And I can't say there's any hard feelings there, but it just didn't work the way we thought it was going. You got you know, the funny thing was too is you guys were mostly known for sprint car engines, yeah, mm -hmm. but you guys built engines for other type of yeah, racing too. Everything, yep. Like, we I, I remember seeing. Uh, what was it, uh, Tim Connolly in a NASCAR Wheeland modified tour car with a Gertie engine yep. in it? Yeah, we did everything. My dad did not turn any, way, any kind of work away, really, to be honest. I mean, we developed that midget engine. We had the dominant midget engine for years. Um, we did Hooters Pro Cup stuff when that was around. Um, we did some ASA stuff back in the day. I mean, we did a lot of different kinds of engines. We did tractor pulling engines. When my dad first started the sprint car side of it, he was doing tractor pulling engines, you know? Wow. It's just, it's amazing because, uh, you, you know, nowadays engines are built for 
you know, a big track, a short track, you right, want something with right. more pull out of the corner or something with more top end. But like to buy a sprint car motor to go run the Outlaw Tour, you needed something that was good all around. You needed yep. something that was good on big tracks and little tracks. Yep, yep. That's what we tried to do was have a best all around engine at the time. But like you say, nowadays that's not the case. You change engines constantly for different different scenarios. Is the cost just getting out of hand with the motors? Pretty much, yeah. Last year at Kyle's, I think we got a new engine. It was sixty five thousand or something. So it's crazy numbers. Where, where do you think we can save money nowadays? Boy, I don't know. It's, it's all the cylinder head technologies. What's costing money, really? Is, is it a situation where, you know, everybody's just looking for that edge, or do you think that we maybe need to find a way to? get back to way we to the way we were to have you know a, an engine last you for most of the season and you could take it and have it freshened up and go go race again that, or maybe even yeah. harder tires to that would know. be a good idea but i don't know once you open that worm can i don't know that you can fix it that's yeah. it's a tough uh, answer i i like the hard to tire idea um but ascs tried that with the 360s it didn't really accomplish a whole lot uh every time you put a rule in i feel like cost you money yeah um, you look back at Ted Johnson when he started in 78 and run what you brung, that may have still been the thing they needed to look at, you know, not put a cubic inch rule in. Because back then you could build a big cubic inch motor for less than you could a 410, you know, because you're now putting more technology into that 410 where you just built big cubic inch and you could instantly have power. But I'm not sure that's the answer either. I mean, we're this far into it now. It's it's going to be tough to reverse that. So. Yeah, I know. It's like the the, the Pandora's box has already been opened. You, yep. you know, we could sit here talking racing all day, and I'm probably going to have a lot more questions for you guys. But uh, before we wrap it up, what are some of the big things that you're looking forward to this year? I mean, because when we had chatted, you thought that, you know, working for Kyle Larson's team was going to be your retirement plan. And then Larson had to sell the team, and now you're moving over to driving, uh, working for Alex Bowman. But what are some of those big things that you're looking forward to doing this year? Even though you're not racing for points or for championships, but some of the things that you're looking forward to actually like working together with on him. I would like to get his team up and going for him and learning, and and far as CJ and himself, you know, learning. Um, get him set up in the shop. I mean, he doesn't really have much for shop equipment and that kind of stuff and try to get the team up to where if they do want to go around an all-star situation or go someday, maybe run an outlaw deal, you know, I don't want to do the whole road thing, but I'd definitely be there to help if need be. So is this also kind of like a, a teaching thing for you for Alex kind of showing him, look, this is what you need in the shop. This is the equipment we need. Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you kind of also... They built that car all by themselves last year to come down here and do this race at Charlotte, and then, and they did an excellent job for never doing anything with sprint cars. I mean, he's done a lot with midgets over his career with the Focus stuff and all that, but they did a really good job. But, I mean, it's just trying to speed up their learning curve by hiring experience, you know, that's that's the whole key. And, yeah, you'll be there to... To streamline everything, I'm I guess. hoping to, yes. Try cool. to fine-tune it for him. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for joining us here today. I want to thank you for coming out and, and taking the time to chat with us. We would definitely love to have you back on another episode. Okay, I'd love it, yeah. Great. Joe Gertie, joining us here in the studio. We want to thank all of you for joining us this afternoon. I'm Derek Prentisiglio for the Derek Prentisiglio Show, saying we'll catch you again the next time. Bye. Bye.